are. Hey, Kaikki. And what was that, Dan? Riley, that, I'll have you know, was Finnish for hello, everyone. Why Finnish, Dan? Well, you see, Riley, on our last two episodes, our biggest uh, demographic was from Finland. I love the fact that people from Finland are listening to the pod. I, Me too. It's one of my favorite places uh, in the world that I have not yet traveled to. In terms of education, they are the number one education district in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we all aspire to be just a little bit Finnish. All the Slavic countries have beautiful design sets, so I'm down Scandinavian, with not Slavic. Oh, did I? It's Scandinavian. Yeah, Scandinavian. Slavic countries would be like your Czech or Czechia. I'm so fucking stupid. Oh, great. Now everyone from Finland hates me. Yeah, you're a douchebag. And my grandfather comes from, you know, Czechoslovakia. You think I'd have known that? Did he come from the Czech Republic or did he come from Slovakia? Because now that's a thing. I know he came from there and at that time it would have been one country. Oh, just wait a minute. I'll get my map. I don't know. Could you find out for us? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I would honestly have to ask my father. I don't know that much about him. He was dead before I was born. I don't want this to be one of those those podcasts where we get deep in confession. Yeah, that was we got deep there on the last episode. And you know what? I thought it was really lovely when I was editing it and hearing your story about French. Yeah. That was a really lovely story. I'm sure the listeners thought it, that it was lovely as well. It was very um, authentic. A lot of people wonder, because I have a very French-Canadian last name, why on earth I don't speak French. I just had this conversation with a colleague uh, from mm -hmm. France who was wondering, and I told her the story. I'm very open with it. It's not something I, I'm ashamed of, so I don't mind talking about it. You have just a colleague like, from France. Pardon me? You have a colleague from France. I do. Actually, I love France French teachers because they teach you to have a really great accent. Yes, they're the best ones. Uh, Jodie Foster, right? She learned French in France, and Jodie Foster has the most amazing French accent. Yeah, I love that Parisian uh, accent. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely... No, I'm not shitting on Canadian French, but I do prefer the Parisian French. No, it, it it's not something that I am at all ashamed to talk about. I'm glad we did. It lets the listener know a little bit more about me. They certainly have heard a lot about you and the terrible things that have befallen uh, partners of yours of yesteryear. And it was time for them to learn a little bit more about me beyond my Godiva mug. Can I also say something? A uh, Godiva, but can I also, it's a long eye. Can I also say something? I notice a lot of comments in other people's podcasts. Yes. Um, podcast audiences are very much a house divided. There are okay. those who love banter like ours. Right. Where we just let a very natural flow of conversation happen. Mm -hmm. And there are those who like a very strictly scripted, get to the point kind of podcast. Sure. And to anybody who's listening to what we do, we're going to keep doing it the way we do it. Yeah. We're not making any money out of this. We're going to do it the way we want to. Yeah. The podcast is what it is. We're not really into doing one of those scripted documentary style ones. This is who we are. And I like doing this. And I know we waste a lot of time at the beginning talking, but it kind of sets the tone. And that's the way it is. Hey, speaking of setting the tone, uh, this is our uh, final episode of 2020. Our mm. final episode before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, very exciting. We had a little bit of snow here in Canada's nation's capital. Nation's ca nation capital. Nation's, nation's capital? capital. The nation's capital. Yeah. The nation's capital. And it, it was very good. It was, it was, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit more seasonal. It's a light dusting of snow, but at least it's there. And it's and cold. It, 
And you know what? I'm so fucking excited. I come alive this time of year. Yeah. I love it. I am such a romantic about Christmas. I we downstairs the trees up and everything is going and I'm doing oh, good. Christmas. So that's up now. Yeah. Cuz last time I think we talked it hadn't been put up yet. It's up. No, and I have I've been doing Christmas puzzles and like right now I'm drinking mulled cider with a cinnamon stick. Ooh. Yeah, that's what this is. In this in this very Canadian mug with the forest scene on it. I don't like that mug. Um, well, it doesn't like you either. You should see what it told me earlier today. And I've heard some of the things it's been saying, and I'm just going to say right now, none of them are true. And you know what it told me? If it's if it ever runs into that Godiva mug, it's going to kick that mug's ass. Well, we'll see about that. So, and and just to to let folks know, uh, this is going to be our final episode. Don't say that. It sounds like forever, folks. This is our last episode of 2020. Yes. We're coming back. We're coming back. We're going to take a, a short break and uh, we're going to recharge our batteries and uh, we're going to take some time to unplug. At least I am. I don't know about you, but I'm totally unplugging. I thought you were having your uterus repaired. I'm going to have one surgically implanted so I can store bits and bites or mid uh inside my myself. I love bits and bites. Like a, like a kangaroo. <laughs> Which I've never seen up close and in person. A kangaroo? No, I've never seen one. Well, have you been to Australia? Well, no, I'm not. I've not been to Australia. It's that flight. I want to go so bad, but I can't. I'm not good with planes because I'm a bit claustrophobic. And I just, and I cannot imagine being in the air for that long. I wish they had a safe gas that when you got on an airplane, they could just release it and knock everybody out. And then you would wake up in your destination. I really do. So you wouldn't have a headache or it wouldn't be bad for you. We just can just take drugs. We have a close uh, mutual friend of ours that travels all across North America. And I don't know if he goes to Europe, but he takes good sleeping type pills, something to make him happy and sleep. I did that once. I took some Ativan. Yeah, I think that's what he takes. I felt like Judy Garland. I just lay against the window drooling and trying to remember happier times. Honestly, it wasn't a good experience. At one point, I woke up and was convinced that I'd pooped my pants. <laughs> I'm serious because I was really warm. Oh, was- Judy Garland of you. Seriously. Well, you know, she, at the end, her last couple of weeks weren't so great. I felt like that. I just felt such a mess. And I remember getting off the plane. Where was I flying to? I think it was LA. And I remember getting off the plane and I was just a a shaking mess. I was awful. All right. So tonight, Riley, it's a little bit different. We're not, we're not doing what we normally do, which is one of us takes a story and the other person sleeps, sleeps through it. And um, yeah, has automated responses. Uh, tonight, you and I are sharing the wheel. We're doing a lightning round. Who is on whose lap if we're sharing the wheel? Who's who's actually pushing the gas pedals and the brake and then the other person sitting on their lap? Or are we just side by side in one of those old 1960 Buicks? What are you talking about sitting on laps? You just were sharing the wheel. I can tell you haven't been to a strip club in a while. What are you talking about? What does that mean? What? Who sits on someone's lap and drives? The thing. The thing? Like from John Carpenter's? No, it's a thing. Some people do that. It sounds dirty. Is it dirty? Are they naked? No, it, I, I honestly don't. I've never come across this. Lap driving. <laughs> it's possible that someone could sit on someone's lap and steer. They'd have to be small. They'd have to be like Linda Hunt. Yeah, and I'm bigger than you, so it's you that would be on my lap. I, no, 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 no. That's a Christmas card no one needs to see. 
All right. So, yes, a lightning round of stories tonight. We're both like slightly intoxicated, it seems. It's a good, it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> I got to look up lap driving. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I probably made that up. There was a girl, um, I won't say her full name, but um, her name is Marianne, and we dated when I was 12 years old, and I used to double her. You used to what? Double her, double ride her on my bike, and she would sit on the front handlebars. Well, that's kind of where I was going, but with a car <laughs> so she'd sit on the hood that's some kentucky good times right there okay um yeah we're doing a lightning round we have short stories that are supposed to be we limit ourselves to around five minutes and they're fun you never told me there was a five minute rule yeah, well well i'm not abiding by it i'm gonna try to but i'm not cutting myself short each story of mine is at least 30 minutes and i've got eight of them well welcome to dan's world okay who's going first you're going first I'll go first. Great. So welcome to the weird lightning round. We're going to go back and forth. Um, it's going to be fun stories. And it's just to kind of ring in the Christmas season and the new year. So my first story, we're going to Croatia. Which is where, Riley? It's a Slavic country. I don't think so. I don't think that's Slavic. <laughs> that's the former Yugoslavia. Oh, I guess it could be. Yeah, I guess that is I just Slavic. threw that out there because I thought you were prompting me like a good teacher would. Well, it used to be part like Serbia and uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina and Croatia and I guess Montenegro. Isn't Croatia a hot travel destination these days, right? It has, be has beautiful beaches. It has a Riviera that everybody's going to because it's affordable. Mm -hmm. It's on the Adriatic. Scene. Yes. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it, and it's actually on my list of places I want to go because it's unspoiled. It's not vulgar and commercial. In Croatia, this is one of my favorite stories I've come across the last couple of years because it just makes me laugh, and I don't know why. I'm cruel and empty inside. In Croatia, mm -hmm. the door of an apartment building, uh, not the building, but the door of an apartment in a building was broken down after none of the neighbors could remember having seen the tenant for a very long time. Once they did break inside the apartment, the body of the female tenant was found, and she was dead. Her name was Hedviga Golik. I love that name, Hedviga. And mm -hmm. the last time anybody had actually seen her was 1966. When did they break the door down? 2008. What? Yes. She had been sitting in her chair dead for 42 years. Okay, so I'm assuming she owned the place then. It's not like there was a really lenient landlord that just let the rent slip for that long. Well, it's weird because a lot of the stories, I read a lot of stories about this, claim that the neighbors out of kindness were paying for her utilities and stuff. Anyway, she was known as being this really quiet woman. Well, I guess so. She kept to herself. But yeah. this is the scene. She's sitting peacefully in a chair facing her television, which is still on. What? There's a cup of tea next to her on the table and they can see from how it sort of evaporated that it had been full when she died. Yeah. yeah. And um, before her death in the 60s, she had been talking a lot about going abroad. So the neighbors in the 60s just naturally assumed that that's what she did and that she had liked it so much she had relocated. And witnesses who were in the apartment to clean it up and remove the corpse said the apartment was amazing. It was like a museum to that era, to 1966, when she died peacefully in her chair, watching TV with a cup of tea next to her on a table. And that is the story of Hedviga Golik, who, who sat in her apartment for 42 years until somebody finally found her. That's my first story. Booyah. Was there a note at all from her deceased child? 
Were there little footprints? Nope. She just died. Was King Timon involved at all? There's nothing sinister about her death. Nothing. It's just the fact that she sat there for 42 years. All right. So my first story, Riley, hails from, uh, surprise, surprise, Ireland, which I don't know if you're aware, I'm part Irish and very fond of this country. I don't think I or any of our listeners had any idea. Revelation time. Do you know the story of Mike Meany? I do. What? No, I, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be cool if you did. And it wouldn't be surprising. So Mike Meany was always searching for fame and fortune. And in 1968, decided he had just the thing to achieve it. He decided that he could break the world record for the most number of days buried underground. That sounds like something you'd do, Riley, considering you're so claustrophobic. Oh, God, that is so disturbing. According to his daughter, being buried alive was all the rage at the time, and he knew if he did it, he would be world famous. Okay, so 68, you're just a baby. In 68, you're what? Were you born in 68? Do you remember this being a thing as a kid? Never. Okay, because I had never heard of it either. I thought that was a bit weird. Maybe it's a European thing. Anywho, at the be- at the beginning of 1968, the record was held by an American who went by the name Digger Odell. He had survived 45 days buried alive under the soil. However, he had rival contenders other than Meanie. Corkman Tim Hayes and Texan country singer Bill White both had their own aspirations. The first thing Meanie had to do was prepare for the challenge. Following a workplace accident in which he was buried alive a few years previous, he knew he could train his mind to be still and not panic. However, he had to get his body physically ready for the task. Over the next three weeks, he staged workouts in the Admiral Lord Nelson pub in an oversized coffin. He also fed himself on a diet consisting mostly of steak and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) On the 21st of February, 1968, he had his last supper while journalists interviewed him, and the next day he was put in his hole. There were two pipes sticking out of the coffin, one for food, and one for ventilation and conversation. At the same time in America, Bill White was also starting his challenge, and the world's media got excited. The BBC fixed a live satellite link between London and the States in order to broadcast a joint interview between the pair. There was one complication with all this media attention, however. Mike, I love this. I God, I love this. Mike had failed to tell his wife, Alice, about his plan. Oh, my God. So he's got all this trouble. <laughs> she had no idea. I think this is so This is so funny. Most people will lie about having to go play golf or something like that. Yeah. Or that's, going to the pub with their, with their friends. That's extreme. This guy's lying or not telling her the truth about being buried alive. Um, so according to Mike's daughter, Mary, uh, she said that, Uh, his wife found out through the radio and she said uh, he probably knew the answer would be no, uh, but she left him be. I like that fact. She let him off and said, if he wants this back in Kilburn, Mike was settling into an odd routine. He would wake up at 7 a.m. So he was sorry. And I I should say uh, he, he was buried after that last supper. They put him in the coffin. They took him out a window of the pub, put him on a lorry, brought him to the place that where they buried him and, and put him in the ground. So, once he was in the ground, he he had this routine where he would wake up at 7 a.m., do some exercises in the coffin, including partial press-ups, and then 
he would use lubrication oil, and I quote that, on his muscles. He would then eat breakfast and read the newspaper or a book about boxing. Because, you know, if I'm going to be stuck in the ground in a coffin for a couple months, the first type of book I'd want to bring is a book on boxing. Yeah, that's riveting. What the what what could that a, is so weird. a book on boxing be about? Maybe the history of boxing. I have so many questions about food and pooping. Oh, that's very interesting that you uh, should bring it up. So going to the toilet involved a hatch somewhere in the coffin, but not many details have ever been revealed about how that process worked. It's probably best. But there was a hatch. There was a hatch in the, in the uh, thing, yeah. Mike found the heat the most difficult thing to bear during his time underground, and there was one incident while he was buried where a 10-ton truck reversed into the yard over his grave, putting huge pressure on the soil above him, and a collapse seemed imminent, but luckily the coffin held. Wait, didn't they have wrecked like some pylons around there? You would think. Yeah, right? And there would be pipes coming out of the ground. I could just see the truck driver. Hey, sorry, guys. What's going on here? Yeah. So on the 22nd of April, 61 days after being buried at Keene's yard, Mike Meany decided his time under the soil was over. Bill White, his competitor, had pulled out six days earlier. So he ended up being at one, I think is still the world record holder for longest time being buried alive. And the stunt brought Meany the fame he craved, but unfortunately for him, it was not long lasting. The rest of his life was tinged with sadness as he attempted to re-experience that feeling of re-emerging from the soil. What a stupid world record to have. And he, and like, he hobnobbed with celebrities afterwards. He's because actually, if you take a look at, at him, he's actually a handsome guy. That's just stupid. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Maybe it's a thing, but I, I just think it's stupid. I don't understand that. It's like golf. Yeah, well, I could never do that. I mean, it's people's attempt to be famous. There are 15 minutes what people will stoop to. God. I mean, it's the same thing as like the jackass guys like or anyone who has sort of followed in their footsteps yeah, on YouTube. Who would want to lie under the ground for 45 fucking days? People go on fe- or went on Fear Factor for years. Do you know what it reminds me of a bit? Do you watch The Sinner with Bill Pullman? I think you just made that up. No, The Sinner. It's a TV show. Bill Pullman passed away eight years ago. You know who he is. I know Bill Pullman. In the last season of The Sinner, he has a relationship with a serial killer, um, and the serial killer buries him under the ground. He doesn't know when he'll get dug up. But can I say, you know how we go anecdote? I got to tell you an anecdote, a really quick one. When I was little, I was obsessed with reading and I could never get enough books. So naturally I turned to my father's books and his number one thing reading was Reader's Digest. That's my dad. Yeah. So they would have these things where they would take a novel and condense it. Reader, I guess they're called Reader's Digest condensed books where you could read it in probably an hour. Anyway, one was that they condensed was a book called 88 Hours Till Dawn when this guy kidnaps a girl and puts her in a coffin under the ground with just an air vent and demands ransom. And I read that and it was the most disturbing thing like I've ever read. It's kind of like The Vanishing, I guess. I think I I think I read that. Yeah, the book was called 88 Hours Till Dawn and it stayed with me to this day. And I probably read it when I was like, you know, 11. 
I remember as a kid too. So this would have been 1980s. There being a TV movie. I think it was a TV movie where a guy is trying to escape from prison. It could even, you know what? It might've been the twilight zone trying to escape from prison. And the way he goes out is by faking his death or, or no, I know he gets into a coffin with so, an inmate who died. And the whole plan is that he goes into the ground, but then someone will come and get him. And the person who's supposed to come get him is the person in the coffin. Oh my God, that's so Twilight Zone. And he turns on the uh, a lighter and looks, and it's the face of the person, the inmate who, I guess, who had that duty. Oh God. Oh God. It was Twilight Zone. I'm that pretty sure just that reeks Twilight of Twilight Zone. Zone. That's very typical of their narrative. Okay. I'm taking you now to 1828. Guess where we're going? Nuremberg, Germany. You know what it's famous for. May 1928, suddenly on the streets of Nuremberg in a town square, a boy named Caspar Hauser suddenly appears. This guy's dressed in rags, but he's also wearing a beautiful silk scarf and an embroidered handkerchief with the initials K.H. Caspar Hauser on it. He's about 10 years old, but he strangely walks like a toddler. He walks like someone who has just learned how to walk. They try to talk to him. He has no memory of anything, and the only real language he can speak is his name. So, like, just the towns. Yeah, because they're they, he's just wandering around. They're like, "Where's your father? Where's your mother?" And the only thing he can say is his name, and he can say one phrase: Caspa. Caspa. Yes, and and the Caspa? one phrase he can say is, "I want to be a horseman like my my father." I want to be a horseman like my father. Like that. It would probably be like that. He would only eat bread and water. Anything else would cause him to vomit violently. He was given a home after no one claimed him by a local teacher named Friedrich Dahmer. Now, as he uh, spent time there, they learned that Casper was very sensitive to sunlight and to sound. When he eventually regained the ability to speak and they taught him the basics of language, he claimed that he had been kept prisoner in a dark room by people he never saw. And the room he described was so small that he couldn't even stand. Thus, he had never learned to walk properly. So Casper flourished under the care of the uh, schoolmaster and then other people. He uh, moved on to live with other people. He, as he grew up, he showed remarkable talent for both music and art. Now, this gets really interesting. During the next few years of his growth, this is like adolescence, early adulthood, several attempts on his life were made. In one attack, a man struck him across the forehead and shouted, you will have to die ere you leave Nuremberg. Do you want to do it in the voice? You'll have to die before you leave Nuremberg. We'll just leave that there. Nobody saw the attackers. Auf Wiedersehen. Casper moved from place to place, like I said. He eventually ended up with a nobleman named Lord Stanhope because Lord Stanhope was obsessed with trying to find Casper's origin. Casper had become a celebrity in the papers. Everybody wanted to find out where this... Okay, so this this was a... In the news. Yeah, everybody was like, where'd this this strange boy who couldn't speak come from? In 1833, he returns home and he's bleeding profusely. He claims that he has been stabbed while walking in the park. A man had lured him there, claiming that he had information about his real mother. The man had tried to hand him a bag, and when Casper reached for the bag, the man stabbed him in the gut. Authorities went to the park and found the bag. Inside the bag, there was a note. The note was written backwards, yes, backwards like mere writing, and said, mm. Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and where I am from. To save Hauser the effort, I want 
to you myself where I come. I'm doing verbatim. I come from the Bavarian border on the river. I will even tell you the name, M-L-O. That's what the note said. People have been trying to unravel the mystery of that note forever. No one ever has. A few days later, Casper died from the stab wound. Oh. Okay. And that was the end of his life. There are two theories about his strange Mm -hmm. life. That he was a big fat Mm -hmm. liar. That he just did this for attention. Or, and this is the really popular one. There's tons of research and I could have actually done a whole episode on this, but I'm not going to. That he was illegitimate royalty and he had been kept hidden away and kidnapped so he couldn't claim the throne. The, like a man in yeah, and, and he had escaped. And when they finally located him, they sent men to kill him because he, he couldn't exist because he threatened the throne. See, I think, I thought you were going with, uh, the, he was an alien. No, he's not an alien. And that it was um, 1800s version of Area 51 Gestapo-y type people that were- Not at all, Dan. You're just having overactive um, imagination. So we don't know to this day where Caspar Hauser came from, but he was the boy found wandering in the town square in Nuremberg. Well, I doubt that he was making it up because who, a 10-year-old would- go to that the, that length of not having a home and not like a lot that. of people described him as being really obnoxious but that doesn't mean he's a liar they said that it, they wouldn't put it past him but he became that well, i prefer the hidden royalty because that's a good story but anyway that's he was a, a big celebrity it just was a, a news story that people became fixated on at the time and yeah. And you said there was a Lord Stanhope that sort of- He was obsessed with the story him. and he wanted to solve it. So an English nobleman, Lord Stanhope, I would assume. He never solved it. So there, that is the story of lovely Caspar Hauser. And that's the what I like about, I was going to say this at the top of the show, but I'll say it now because I forgot. These are all stories that you and I have come, some of these are stories that you and I have come across over the past year. Dead woman in Croatia one, I knew about that like years ago. But didn't wouldn't make a full- 40 to minute to an hour show. No, not at so all. So it's kind of fun, these fun little things. Okay, well, this this is a story, my, my next offering, that I found very early, like the first weeks of our podcast and thought it was kind of funny, but knew we could never do anything with it until now. Riley, I'd like to tell you the story, and good listener, of Mel's Hole. Oh, dear. Yeah. So Mel's Hole is an allegedly bottomless pit near Ellensburg, Washington claims about it were first made on the radio show coast to coast AM by a guest calling himself Mel waters. The legend of the bottomless hole started on February 21st, 1997. When a man identifying himself as Mel appeared as a guest on coast to coast with art bell. Is it a real thing? Have you never listened to it? Oh, it's, it's a, it's on late. Like I used to listen to it when I was younger driving late at night. Um, when you would listen to AM radio and he would, he's kind of like us. Like he, he would have different guests on people could call in and tell them the strange things that they've seen or experienced, heard about. He would interview people always like super late at night. They'd be on like at 1am in the morning. Oh my God. I love that. You have to check it out. I used to listen to uh, a station from the States back in the day called TalkNet. And uh, I used to listen to a woman who had not yet become a celebrity named Sally Jesse Raphael. And mm. she would have people call in I like in the nineties. Raphael, her and Donahue. All right, so uh, this guy uh, Mel Waters calls in and claims that he owned claims that he owned a rural property nine miles west of Ellensburg in Kittitas County, Washington, that contained a mysterious hole. According to Waters, the hole had an unknown depth of at least get this eighty thousand feet. Wow, that's a lot of. How did he know this? 
He claims to have measured its depth. I find this a little hard to believe, but he claimed to have measured its depth using fishing line and a weight, although he still had not hit bottom by the time 80,000 feet of line had been used. Do you know how many freaking fishing line you'd have to use to get 80,000 feet That's of it? That's crazy. And eventually, I can dispel this right now, because eventually, I the weight of the line... Stop it. Stop. My narrative... Maybe I was going to get to that. Sorry. I'm a bad person. My mother was right. <laughs> he also claimed that his neighbor's dead dog had been seen alive sometime after it was thrown into the hole. According to Waters, the hole's magical properties prompted U.S. federal agents to seize the land and fund his relocation to Australia, mate. The exact location of the hole was unspecified, yet several people claim now to have seen it, such as Gerald R. Osborne, who told reporters in 2012 he visited the hole many times and uh, since 1961 and claimed the U.S. government maintained a top-secret base there where alien activity occurs. Back to that. Uh-huh. But in 2002, Osborne was unable to find the hole on an expedition of 30 people he was leading. So I don't think Mr. Osborne was telling the truth. Local news reporters who investigated the claims have found no public records of anyone named Mel Waters ever residing in or owning property in that county. But that's not necessarily a, you know, a reason to throw the story out because as we saw with Bob Lazar, the government can do shady things sometimes when they want someone to disappear. However, here's the nail in his coffin. Huh? That throwback to Mike Keen there, whatever, like Mike Keeney. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Riley? Okay. According to State Department of Natural Resources geologist Jack Powell, the hole does not exist and is geologically impossible. A hole of the depth claimed would collapse into itself under the tremendous pressure and heat from the surrounding strata. Powell said an ordinary old mine shaft on private property was probably the inspiration for the stories and commented that Mel's hole had established itself as a legend based on no evidence at all. Mel's hole. There's so many awful jokes that could be made, and I'm not going to do it. Saw a documentary once on YouTube about people who do deep dives down holes. Have you ever seen those guys? Yeah, like you mean they're, they're like free divers? Well, or they're, they're scuba divers, but they go down straight down. They don't swim down they just are lowered down holes that are like a mile deep where it's solid black mm. and it takes them like i think like eight hours to come back up because you know you get the bends and there's a, a, fa- a famous one where somebody went down and died yeah and then the guy goes down to retrieve his body and he dies mm. that's a famous story about those two then i'm like why do you do that why would you want to go down mm-hmm. into a deep black hole? Not And the worst part of it, Dan, the worst part, this is so fodder for the weird. Worst part of the documentary is they have film footage of him dying. She's got a head cam on. So he's down there getting the body of the other diver. And you can see he's getting caught in the lines and he's starting to freak out and panic. And that's what kills him. Caught in the lines mm. and he can't free himself and he dies. And man, that stayed, mm. that stayed with me. Wow. Oh, that stayed with me. You know what movie freaked me out as a kid? The Abyss with Ed O'Neill. With who? Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. Ed Harris, sorry. Who the hell is Ed O'Neill? Um, isn't the guy from uh, Married with Children? Isn't I just was going to say that. Isn't that that guy? Yeah. I have to say Married with Children is probably the worst god-awful show that has ever... Oh, I meant to tell you something. I, because of you, 
watched Christmas Vacation. Uh-huh. I didn't like it. There's a few really great moments, but it's so over the top. Of and course. I had a problem because I know now that Chevy Chase is a bit of an asshole. And so I could, yeah. I was watching it through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, you have to divorce yourself from that. You know what my favorite part was? The two really old people that show up. Yes. They are and Bethany and Uncle... Uh, he's the guy. The old guy he's the guy the I saw in the Godfather. He was in the Godfather trilogy. That guy. But it was, um, yeah. And I love the fact that uh, Juliet Lewis is in it because she's my favorite weirdo. Yeah, she's wonderful in it. But even and the grandparents as well. I found like when they come first come in the door and there's this tidal wave and they're complaining and like there's some really great moments like that. It's yeah. not my kind of physical humor at all. But the rest of, like, there's little details here and there that just made me laugh. Like my father and our endless fights over Christmas lights, putting them on outside, and they never fucking work. Yes. And you check them all, and they'd all be working, and you put them up, and there'd be a burnt-out one in the highest place. You'd have to go get the ladder from the garage. Uh, So I watched it, Mm -hmm. and I was amused, but didn't rock my box. Rock your box? That sounds dirty. I did. I just always have said that. Rock my box. Oh, it does sound dirty. I don't mean to sound dirty. Well, sometimes I do, but not tonight. Okay, can I tell you a story? No. Well, you're done, right? We're going to Oakville, Washington, and it's your it's your era. It's uh, 1994. Hey, Pearl Jam. Did you know I didn't know what Pearl Jam was till like three years ago? What? I didn't. I never, well, I don't like them, and it never occurred to me. And now I know, and I don't want to know. He dreams in color, she dreams in red. Can't find a better man. What is that, your new band, Stroke Victim? Okay. We're in Oakville, Washington, Dan. And you know the state of Washington, Rainfall is its uh, middle name, right? So, little town of Oakville. However, on that day, instead of the normal rain that they usually get, blobs of a gelatinous material had begun to fall from the sky at approximately three in the morning. The the blobs were small and translucent, about the size of uh, half a grain of rice. They were small. In a three-week period, similar objects fell at six different times over an area of approximately 20 square miles. Now, residents who had been exposed to the rainfall became very ill. And it was described as a very severe flu that would last about seven to eight weeks. Domestic animals in the area also became sick. One resident who had picked the substance up to examine it collapsed later that very same day. And this woman's name was Dottie Hearn. And she was immediately rushed to the hospital, suffering from dizziness and severe nausea. So at that point, people started to wonder what the fuck was the substance? Now, Dottie's relatives and Dottie, uh, people in her house had gotten a whole bunch of samples and put them in jars and put them in the freezer. How smart is that? Right? Isn't that not the smartest thing? That is smart. I had said that's not smart, but I guess that was smart because well, exactly. So a doctor it. took a preliminary look under a microscope, and he identified a human white blood cell. So what would a human white blood cell be doing falling from the sky? Right. This led the doctor to hypothesize that it was human waste dropped from a plane. Uh, but the FAA dispelled this because. I don't know if you knew this, but I know this. Aircraft waste, uh, it usually freezes, and it's known as blue ice because all waste from aircraft is dyed blue. Did you know that? So when they release a whole bunch of poop from uh, an overseas flight over the ocean, it's blue. It's always blue, so it's easier to identify. Interesting. So, well, and I wonder, too, if there's a chemical in there, right, when you prevent the smell from – Yeah. Kind of like a, a, a portable toilet. 
the chemical helps chemical. break it down as well. Yeah. So a, a sample was then examined by the Washington State Department of Health, and two types of bacteria were identified in the sample. And they were biocontrol agents. They were commonly used to kill pathogens that exist in plant life. Okay. But they're also harmful. They're also, these substances are also harmful to humans. Now, shortly after they were tested, the samples mysteriously vanished from the lab and were never found. Mm. Here's the theories that the military detonated a bomb in the water and blew up a school of jellyfish, bits of which then became lodged in a rain cloud, traveled, traveled around a bit and then fell down on Oakville. Oh, but then that doesn't explain the white blood cells. It doesn't explain these weird. Yeah. Okay. And the other theory is that the military or someone else were experimenting with a pathogen. Well, that that's that. There's precedent there that of testing. Scientists say a gelatin-like polymer would be the perfect method for transporting bacteria from an aircraft flying in the sky to the ground because the polymer wouldn't deteriorate. Mm -hmm. So this leads a lot mm -hmm. of people to believe that something was indeed being tested. No concrete answer to the mystery has ever been found, but it is documented that this did happen and people did get very sick for seven to eight weeks. No one has ever come forward to claim responsibility for it. So, and there are no more samples to uh, examine. So we will never know for sure. Yeah. Gelatinous substance. I've seen pictures of it. That's terrible. And how many people died? Just the one? No, oh, she went to the hospital. Oh, she didn't die. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, then that's yeah. not terrible at all. I'm happy. And they claimed she when she went to the hospital that she had, you know, Meniere's disease. Do you know what that is? Meniere's disease is uh, an inner ear disease. And it's, it's like you have it for, for life. Are you like dizzy? What does it do? Dizziness. Some people have tinnitus where you get ringing ears. Yeah. Well, they yeah. claimed that she had that, but since she, after she recovered, she never had symptoms again. So it's probably very surely not Meniere's disease. Meniere's disease is terminal, not terminal, chronic, chronic. Mm -hmm. That's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Gelatin from the sky. Gross. And I'm going to blame the government. I'm going to blame the government as well. All right. My next story uh, takes us back to Ireland. Jesus, you in Ireland. Good Lord. All right. Amanda Teague, a 45-year-old Jack Sparrow impersonator. Wait, stop. Jack Sparrow, like from Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah. Well, this is a current story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I, I saw pictures of her. She actually does a pretty good impersonation of him. Okay. Like glues on facial hair. And she looks good. So she wed, this isn't the story. This is like the beginning of the story. She wed a 300 year old pirate ghost named Jack, but it seems like their unlikely union has come to an end. Okay. Unfortunately. Yeah. No. And this is true. Like this is, I very, like this, this was covered by people. Well, magazine. then it must be true. And several Irish newspapers. So I'm not like, this is not just like someone made this up. This actually happened. Whether you believe she was married to the ghost or not is. People is magazine has the only crossword puzzle that I can complete the whole thing. It's only like well, six no, But I can always complete it. I have like snobby, like smart friends who can do the New York Times crossword and stuff. I thought at one time, oh, that'd be fun to get into. And I tried. And it was like, it made me feel so stupid. And I read a lot. I like to think I have a good vocabulary. And I felt like a dunce. Can I interrupt for a sec? Can tell you really? No, no, no. It's oh, a feel-good story. It's like it's a, one, of the nice, one of those nice stories. All oh, right. don't be an arse. <laughs> 
Okay, so I don't know if you know, a few years ago, I had my eyes done with laser surgery. Mm -hmm. And I think you had really nice eyes before and having laser eyes now, while I know you think you can fight crime with it, it just looks busy. You know, I went in for eye surgery, but they actually did my breasts. And so I had to completely rejig my wardrobe. No. Okay, so you went in for laser eye surgery and? Because I was older, it didn't quite get i didn't get 2020 so the result of that was i can't really read books now i haven't been Mm. able to i could Mm. if i put on reading glasses but it makes me really dizzy so i don't read books i haven't read books in about seven years six or seven years well how do you do your research for the on the computer you can read the computer i can't read books really it's the the print is too small and i have to hold it really far away well the good news is i bought myself an e-reader i bought myself a kindle and i downloaded a bunch of books and dan it's changed my life i've been reading every night and i'm so fucking happy i know it sounds so trivial but reading is such an integral part of who i am Mm -hmm. and it's back in my life i just want to Mm. share that with you because it um, i'm reading madeline longla book she wrote a wrinkle in time You've read of the course. series. I've, of them? I'm yeah. reading a, a very uh, gentle book she wrote called "Meet the Austins" because I love it. Anyway, it's um, okay. it's cool. just brought words back into my world. Honestly, I'm so fucking happy. Best like 130 bucks I ever spent. Honestly. Well, that's cool. Can I get back to my story about the poor woman who married a 300 year old ghost? Okay. Well, I'm gonna get back into it with a quote from uh, Amanda. And she said the she said the following. I feel it's time to let everyone know that my marriage is over. And, and this is according to the Irish Mirror, quote from the Irish Mirror. I'll explain it all in due course, but for now, all I want to say is to be very careful of when dabbling in spirituality. It is not something to mess with. So apparently the couple wed in a private ceremony on a boat in the international waters off of Ireland, where apparently this is true, the marriage would be legal. I heard during the marriage ceremony that U65 surfaced. And UB40 uh, serenaded them red, on the decks of the red ship. Red wine. Teague hired a medium for the ceremony so Jack could say, I do, making the union official on paper. And since Jack couldn't put on a ring, Teague held a candle that the ring was placed on, which symbolized Jack. I bet she has lots of cats. Their love story began in 2014 after the ghost of a Haitian man visited her while she was lying in bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> I, I was even giggling when I was rereading my notes earlier today. You're making so, me laugh and I haven't even heard it. Go, go, go. Tell me. <laughs> it's not even that funny. All right. Uh, Their love story began in 2014 after the ghost of a Haitian man visited her while she was. (laughs) It's weird that it's the ghost of a Haitian man. What was she doing? She was lying in bed. Uh, How did she know he was Haitian? Did she ask? He told her. she, She soon learned that he was Jack, an 18th century pirate who had been left at the altar once before and was ultimately executed for thievery. Ah, As she interacted with the entity over the course of several months, (laughs) Teague claimed she began to develop feelings for it. Ah, 
This was about six months of communication, so I finally accepted it. Obviously, we had spent a lot of time together. I was horrified to discover I had romantic feelings for him, having never heard of that before. Eventually, Teague said the two even started having a sexual relationship, <laughs> but she wanted more. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I, I just snorted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Growing up in Ireland, in my era, you were taught that if a man bedded you, he should wed you, she said. I knew from my research that spiritual marriage was a thing, so it was more me that wanted to get married than him. He would have been happy, like most men, with just six. <laughs> so that's it. Apparently, this 300-year-old ghost pirate, Haitian ghost pirate, just was in it for the sex and didn't actually want a relationship with her. How old was she? She's not old. And she's, you know, an attractive woman. Because when you said, you know, if he bed you, they got to wed you. That sounds like something from the 40s. Well, she she looks like she's in her 30s or 40s. Maybe she's a young-looking 50-year-old, but she, yeah. And she was previously married. I think she even has kids from her previous marriage. Certainly not from this one. But but that is the story of Amanda Teague and her 300-year-old pirate ex. Oh, God. Did she actually get a formal divorce? She got a formal, well, yeah, and here's the question. So if you go into international waters and get married there, somehow that makes it official with who? Like who? Who? The the World Bank? <laughs> the World Bank. United Nations? Who who recognizes that? It's ridiculous. Good for her, though. Well. She's got yeah. some, some yum yum. She's got a lot of traction to this thing. Like she's got an attention at a People magazine and five different Irish newspapers that I could find reported. And now if her name ever appears in the people's crossword, I'll get it. Amanda Amanda Teague, Teague, poor thing. I bet she has cats. Oh, I'm sure she does. Okay. Can I take you now to Sweden? We're going to the Okno Island. Okno Island is just off the east coast of Sweden. And we're going to visit today a young girl named Carolina Olsen. At the time of the story beginning, she's 14 years old and she's she's part of a large farming family. And on Okno Island, it's basically agricultural. People go there to farm. It's very isolated, but it's also very idyllic. I um, looked at videos and pictures of it online. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. The family lived in a small cottage. It was very peaceful and they loved their life. February 18th, 1876, Carolina's crossing a frozen river. Now, they're not sure because there are no witnesses, but she either fell on the ice or fell through the ice. Mm. In any event, she tripped and hit her head. After she returned home, she began to complain of a toothache. Over the course of the evening, the pain increased and she began to have a horrendous headache. And her parents suspected that witchcraft was involved. Oh, I researched this, apparently extremely superstitious people on the island. And this was the era where if there was something unexplained, you blamed it on the witches. Sure. So that okay. night. Because I'm thinking aneurysm. Well, yeah, right? That night she fell asleep. The next morning she couldn't be woken. Her parents couldn't afford a doctor and they tried everything to wake her. And the stuff they tried was like hot poker across the back of her neck and stuff like that. Yes. Well, it was an archaic time. Nothing worked. Is she still breathing? Very much alive. Okay. So they put together okay. some money and they send for a doctor. The doctor gets there and declares that she's in some type of coma. Yeah, no brainer. Yeah. So word mm-hmm. about her condition spread. Is, was that pun intended? I'm the pun attendant. 
I'm here to serve you puns. So word about her condition spread and people became fascinated with it. Doctors came from far and wide to Okno Island to try and solve the mystery of Carolina's enduring coma. Now, this is where it gets fun. They all noted that her hair and fingernails did not grow. She was only given for sustenance, because remember, this is pre-IVs, two glasses of milk with sugar in it per day. Yet, she lost no weight, nor did her muscles atrophy. And I was going to say, too, your nails and hair continue to grow after you're dead. No, that's a myth. Your body shrinks. Yeah, they've. you know how you are with the crop circles? I'm that way with the hair and nails growing. Your hair and nails do not grow. Your body shrinks. Interesting. And okay. as, it, as it shrinks, it looks like it, they're growing. I like that. That's that's more um, easy to digest. There's no cellular activity in a corpse. So, yes, that was a myth. It was like she was in suspended animation. She wasn't atrophying or diminishing in any way. So, at one point, she's brought to a hospital, and they give her electroshock therapy to try to wake her. It's that era. Mm-hmm. It accomplished nothing. At that point, the psychiatrists and physicians, uh, well, psychiatrists are physicians, diagnosed her as having paralytic dementia. I've never heard of no, that. No, I think it's been disproven. But back then, it was, it was a thing. You, were, you had dementia that made you paralyzed. So while she was asleep, years passed. Her brother died. Her mother died. And witnesses swear over those years that her hair and nails never grew. She also did not in any way age like a normal person would. 32 years after falling into her endless slumber, on April the 3rd, 1908, she suddenly woke up and began to cry. She was in a state of panic. She didn't know where she was. Finally, she calmed down and began to recover. Over the course of the next few hours, they discovered that she remembered nothing about her condition and her body, after several days of careful examination, showed really no ill effects from having been bedridden for 32 fucking years. In a, in a hospital. She was in right? a hospital at that point, yes. So theories. The theories were that it was a ruse by her family, but that didn't make any sense. The second okay. one is a consequence of having hit her head caused her to go into a mysterious coma. Anyway, mm-hmm. there is no answer to this. However... She lived the rest of her life as a normal human being in peace and quiet. That was it. Never showed another symptom of anything wrong with her. But she lay prone for 32 years. She's known as the sleeping beauty of Okno Island. Did, did she age, though? Like, I know you, you mentioned her. So she still looked like she a little She looked like a girl. She looked like a 20-something person. So she did age a little bit because she was a little girl. She was 46 when she awoke. And she looked like she was like maybe... When 20? did she pass? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. I'm sorry. So she didn't, she, did she le- like lead a life after this? Yeah. And she stayed way out of the public eye. It, was she a member of ABBA? <laughs> they show she's very rich. Were you, a, you must have been a fan of ABBA or still are. Yeah. How can you not be a fan of the most pure and wonderful pop music ever written? If you're a country Western fan, if you're a death metal fan. I maybe when I think all young people like ABBA. I disagree. I think there would be some young people that definitely Why are you wouldn't. so fucking contrary? It's Christmas. Put on your happy hat. I think people that are into reggaeton from a young age would not be into well, that. They're stupid because that's awful music. Or Brazilian funk. <gasps> can I tell you this? By the way, I love ABBA. Uh, can I tell you this? I have a Google Home 
that was purchased for us by my in-laws a few mm-hmm. years ago. And I like it just for, you know, like, hey, Google, how long do I have to boil this egg to get a hard-boiled egg? And it mm-hmm. will tell you. I also like it, like you, you ask what the temperature is, it'll tell you. But my favorite thing to do with it is to listen to music while I'm cooking. Mm-hmm. And now they're they're connected with YouTube and I get a commercial between every song telling me to buy a YouTube music YouTube music is the most shitty fucking thing that Google has ever rolled out. Well, it's dumb. Who the hell's going to Google Play like- Music was amazing. I used it for years, but they just killed it and YouTube music is garbage. I hate it. I have Apple Music, Apple Play or whatever that that like I pay for my subscription with Apple. And I'm an iPhone user, so that's why, mm-hmm. right? Uh, anyway, so I'm not buying a subscription, and I want to toss this thing in the garbage now. And they have these smarmy little, like, hey, you like this music? You not like this commercial? Well, then buy the subscription. I'm like, it, they, it's not funny. It's annoying. And they know it's annoying, and they just want to annoy me into getting and Screw them. And what they did to a lot of their uh, big names a couple of years ago with taking away their monetization, just they just suck. They just suck. YouTube sucks. Anyway. All the big high-tech giants suck. All of them. Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, they all Yeah, they're, 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 Like I said, they're too monopolistic. They own too much. They own a too big a piece of the pie, I think. It's dangerous. Um, yeah, but let's not get too political. It's Christmas. Are you ready for my next story? This is a fitting I'm Christmas so story. I'm so fucking ready. This is a Christmas story, actually. I'm going to say this is a Christmas story, just like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Showed Die Hard to my son uh, last week. And? He loved it. I skipped over, there's a part with some nudity. What is nudity in Die Hard? I was going to say the terrorists, but they're not terrorists, are they? The thieves. When the thieves uh, break the party up, they're pulling people out of the offices and uh, there's a couple that ha- tried to break into Holly Gennaro's office to get hot and wild, but then realize that uh, McLean and, and Holly are in there, so they have to leave. And they're in another office, and they get pulled out, and she's not wearing a top. Why does it always have to be the tits? I feel so bad for women. Like, there's, it's, there's like, no yeah, Every time someone's caught making out, it's always the woman's top is off. Let's face it. The male genitalia is not the nicest. I I just watched the last season of Big Mouth, which is one of the best oh, shows yeah. in the world. I oh, cannot believe God. how much representation of genitalia is in that show. It is so crass, but so sweet and funny at the same time. Yeah, because you, you, you remember when you were 12 thinking, oh, God, I remember this. Yeah, it, it's done. There's so much sincerity in it. It's not just shock value. It there's it there's a lot of love put in the life. cute animated vagina. She's adorable. All right. So you're ready for uh, one of my last stories? Absolutely. And this is again, this is a Christmassy story. So, uh Riley, when you think of haunted dolls, you think of creepy porcelain sacks of crap that some people have or screwy looking dolls like Rob. Yes, or Annabelle that fictitious one. Or Annabelle. Actually, yeah. she's not fictitious, right? Annabelle's based on a true story. Go ahead. I thought so. I, in fact, when you did Robert the Doll, I thought it was going to be that story. So in 2019, a Houston family was terrorized by a far less likely candidate. In 2013, the Madonia family gave a frozen Elsa doll to their daughter for Christmas. 
In the years that followed, the toy was played with until eventually Mother Time took over and lost favor with the child. The family decided to throw the creepy doll out in December of 2019. It was filled with marker and paint and scuffed, and it just wasn't working properly anymore. And the kids had aged, and and they decided it was time to go out in the trash. The parents didn't tell the kids this; they just put it in the trash to get rid of it. That is something I want to see a picture of it because I see like it started out looking like Elsa and ended up like Eileen Warnos. Oh my god. Well, really, right? <laughs> so this past December they th- they throw the doll mm-hmm. out, okay? Weeks later though, they find it inside a bench in their living room. Okay? So parents threw it out, didn't say anything to the kids. Mom is cleaning, opens a, this I guess it's one of those benches you can sit on and and has like a compartment inside, opens it up oh, and it's there. Oh god, okay. Okay. A little weird. The kids, this is a quote from the mom, the kids insisted they didn't put it there and I believed them because they wouldn't have dug through the garbage outside, said Emily Madonia on KPRC to Houston News. At that point, Elsa ceased to sing the English rendition of Let It Go. Oh, wait, so she was a musical doll. Yeah, she was a doll that sang even, yeah. So it, it refused to sing that that version and only... Uh, would speak in Spanish when you pressed the button. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Again, this is a quote. So we were weirded out and tightly wrapped it in its own garbage bag and put that garbage bag inside another garbage bag filled with other garbage and put it at the bottom of our garbage can underneath a bunch of other bags of garbage and wheeled it out to the curb and it was collected on garbage day. Great, right? This is... Uh, sorry, Emily saying this. We went out of town and then totally forgot about it. And then the other day, my daughter Aurelia says, Mom, I saw the Elsa doll again in the backyard. This is the mom saying this. So she actually put out a plea on Facebook saying, help us get rid of this haunted doll. This poor woman, I don't, her Facebook thing is open. Like I went and visited her site just to see, you know, in, in defense of her, she's not claiming it's haunted. She's saying this thing's creepy. And I've had that happen with my kids' toys that are electronic where the battery starts to go and it'll start like it'll turn on without mm-hmm. you touching it. Or it'll be like, <laughs> it'll talk like that. And it, it's freaky, especially when it happens in the middle of the night. So rather than believe the doll had turned into Chucky or Annabelle, the family initially figured it, it was, they, they thought it was a prank. Okay. Right, right, right. The doll has, so the mom said, the doll has some marker on her for my daughter coloring over the years. So I know the doll that reappeared was the original and not a replacement, Bedonia told NBC Houston affiliate KPRC. Most logical thinkers believe it's a prank, but I don't understand how or when it was done, especially because the garbage truck had taken it, taken it away. So they know it's the same mm-hmm. doll. So it's not like someone replicated by just putting another frozen Elsa doll out no, in their it's, yard. it's got some markings that identify. Rather than call in an exorcism, they took the drastic measure of mailing the doll to an online running friend of Madonia's in Minnesota without a return address so that he could mail it back. Madonia wrote that the doll laughed for 30 seconds straight as she was putting it in the box to mail it, <laughs> which had never happened before. When the friend received it, they ended up taping the haunted doll to the front bumper of their truck. 
and it doesn't seem to have made its way back to Houston yet as per Madonia's latest Facebook update on the creepy doll, which was in February. But if, and she, this is a quote, if the doll comes back, I might have to open my mind to some uh, of the more supernatural solutions. Madonia told the news and that is the story of the frozen haunting. And let me tell you, I think it's time that that spirit let it go. Ha ha ha. Didn't uh, they do that to mm-hmm. a bear in one of the Toy Story movies? There's a bear taped in front of a truck, right? Yeah. That, that mean, mean bear. Well, this has very strong Toy Story overtones because the Buzz Lightyear has that happen to him too, where he can only speak Spanish. Now, I have to ask you, and you probably don't know it, but I should find out anyway. Does the Elsa voice box that goes in that doll have the capability of speaking many different languages and they just program yes. So it could have malfunctioned and started speaking Spanish. Well, if it was an English only thing and then it started speaking in Spanish or French or tongues or something, then then we're dealing with something supernatural. Yes, they can speak that multiple languages. All right. Your last story. This is your last story. Doesn't that sound tragic? This is my last story. It sounds like a Hallmark movie. This is your last story. Riley's last story. Did you say a Hallmark movie? Movies. They're all over the place this time of year. Which, by the way are filmed mostly in a town about 45 minutes west of where we are, Almont, Ontario. I go there all the time. Those movies are terrible. They are terrible. They're just terrible. I've watched a couple. Just They're just so manipulative and so gross. The only reason why I even know about them is because SNL did a bit Did you them. see SNL send up that crazy blonde woman who testified with Giuliani? You know that crazy blonde woman, right? The lawyer. No, 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 no. No, the one who said that she saw the voter fraud with the glasses. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I have to look, check that out. My story is set this time in Fayetteville, West Virginia. West Virginia. Okay. December 24th, 1945. I thought I would tell you a lovely Christmas Eve story. So 1945, December 24th, Christmas Eve. Jenny Sauter, the mother of the Sauter family, is awakened by a phone ringing. She goes downstairs to answer it. Not a phone, the phone. It's 12.30 a.m. It's a woman asking for a strange name that she's never heard before. When Jenny says there's no one here by that name, the woman laughs weirdly and hangs up. At 1 o'clock a.m., 30 minutes later, she is again woken, this time by the sound of a heavy object hitting the house. She listens, doesn't hear anything else, falls asleep Again. Oh, there's no way I'm falling asleep at that point. 30 minutes later, she wakes to the smell of smoke. At that point, she discovers that the house is on fire. At that point, she wakes her husband, George, who then wakes their eldest son. So they try to help everybody. Jenny, George, and four of Jenny is the mother, George is the father, and four of the children manage to escape the house, which is being consumed very rapidly by flames. There are five children still unaccounted for. Jenny and George stand outside screaming their names. There is no answer. The attic where those children sleep is no longer accessible. A ladder, which they could have used to rescue the kids, was missing from its usual place on the side of the house, And they went to use the phone. The phone, there was also a phone in like the barn, didn't work. Within minutes, the entire house was consumed by fire. However, the remains of the children were never found or identified at all. 
the Sauters firmly believed that the children had been abducted. Even forensic experts say bones should have been found. To entirely cremate a corpse, even a child, the corpse of a child, would require like 2,500 degrees. You said this was going to be a nice Christmas thing. After this event, which made the news, a ton of sightings of the children were reported, many of them centering around a car with Florida license plates. Uh-huh. They said that the kids were in the company of two older women. The Sauters were destroyed by what happened, and they traveled constantly in response to sightings. So whenever a sighting would happen, they would get in their car and go to try to find out if their kids were there. During their entire lives, the Sauter family never stopped looking for the five missing kids. In 1968, more than 20 years after the fire occurred, Jenny found an envelope addressed to her. Inside is a photograph of a young man in his 20s. She runs and brings it to George, and they immediately notice a strong, striking resemblance to their son, Louis, one, and he's one of the kids who had died in the fire. I've seen the photos, and it looks like this kid grew up to be that guy. They are over the moon. They try to pursue the lead. They even hire a private detective to help them, but it yields nothing but dead ends. The Sauters built and maintained a giant billboard on Route 16 near Fayetteville, West Virginia, for more than four decades. On that billboard were the images of the five missing children, as well as detailed information on their disappearance. If you search under solder, that's the first thing you'll see on Google. The billboard stood until 1989 when Jenny died and there was no longer anyone to maintain the billboard. She never gave up hope of finding her children. Sylvia Sauter, who is the last remaining member of that family, still to this day hopes that she will one day be reunited with her brothers and sisters. And that's the story. That's a way to bring in the Christmas cheer there. Holy geez, that's sad. That reminds me of three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. What a great movie. And play. Oh, it's a play. Yeah, it's a, I read the script years ago. It's beautiful. And they did a phenomenal job with the film. The film phenomenal. is just amazing. She can do no wrong. Frances McDormand can do. And you know who was actually fucking great in that movie, too? He was Zaphod Beeblebrox in um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Sam Rockwell. And Sam Rockwell, remember, was in, in JoJo as well, JoJo Rabbit. He's a great actor. I love him. He's one. He's like a Gary. I, I put him in the same category. I was going to say Oldman. Gary Busey, and I was going to like scream. Oh my God, Gary Busey! Are you ready for my final story? Is it happier than mine? It has a happier ending. For crying out loud, you can't get darker than your story. That, that, that disappearance is one of the most famous things that ever happened on Christmas Eve. The most famous thing that's ever happened on Christmas Eve. All right. A San Franciscan truck driver by the name of Jack Burden won a bet with his restaurant owner friend. And to make sure he followed through on the payment, Jack accompanied him to the San Fran airport to pick up his Chinese fiance, Miao Yin. Had she ever met him? Yes. A Chinese street gang, the Lords of Death. This is the 1980s, by the way. A Chinese street gang, the Lords of Death, tried to kidnap another Chinese girl at the airport who was being met by her friend. After Jack intervened, they took Miao Yin instead. This is happening just outside the airport. Jack and his friend tracked the Lords of Death to the back alleys of uh, back alleys of San Fran's Chinatown, 
where they found a funeral procession that quickly erupted into a battle between the Chang Sing and Wing Kong, two ancient Chinese warrior societies. When the three storms, thunder, rain, and lightning, mighty warriors with weather-themed powers appeared, slaughtering the Chang Sing, Jack attempted to gun his big rig through the crowd, but ran over David Lopan, a man directing the three storms. Horrified, Jack exited his truck but found Lopan unfazed and glowing with magic. After some running around and joining up with a reporter and some other friends, they decided to try and infiltrate a brothel where they believed Mao Yin was held. They broke in with some difficulty and ran into some trouble when they had another encounter with the storms. Wang apparently told Jack that Lo Pan needed a special green-eyed girl to break an ancient curse and that he intended to sacrifice Miao I know what Yin. this is now. It's fucking what? big trouble in Little China. The group <laughs> interrupted the wedding ceremony, though, and that led to a big battle. Eventually, the ancient warriors were disposed of, and Jack threw his knife at Lopan's forehead and killed him, and everyone got away. <laughs> That's not even my last story, because I didn't know how long. Well, I was, I was following it for a little while, and then I'm like, what? <laughs> I was watching you. I couldn't look at the screen at you, because I knew if I did, I'd start to laugh. Do you want to know my last story for real? Do I have time? You know what? For about a minute, I was following that, and I'm like, oh, my God, that poor woman at the airport. She accidentally got a... Is that actually the plot? Yeah. I've summarized it quite a bit, but yeah. All right. Do you want to know my my final story? I'll make this one fast. All right. So there is a house in a Welsh town at the center of a mystery, which has seen its owners fleeing in terror. So scared are they about the sounds they can hear underneath their home that they refuse to step foot inside it ever again. This is... And this is another like very recent story. Mm -hmm. The police have been called, but the sound of screaming coming from underneath the basement has not been identified. They are convinced, this is the the couple that lives in the home, that there is something going on below the ground. The claims may sound outlandish, but there are recordings that the owners have made inside the property, which they say prove the existence of a dark, sinister secret. It all started one night in June 2018. The owners, Alan and Christine Tate, were up late at their Ammonford house when the latter went to the kitchen to make a coffee. While she stood over the kettle, she was convinced that she could hear strange noises and went to inform her husband. They had no idea where the noises were coming from, but they were coming from somewhere, so they set out to investigate. It was like a flushing noise that I heard first, says Christine Tate from the couple's camper van that they now live in. So these people don't live in their home anymore because they're so terrified. I told Alan about it, that I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We started to record all over the house and we picked up the sounds of chains, a motorbike starting and people screaming. By the way, I'd have no idea what a Welsh accent sounds like. And it's not like that, but it is, it is now. It's a bit like a cross between, uh, English and Scottish. Yeah. When I went to Wales and I asked for directions. Wow. Yeah. I watched that episode of the crown where uh, Charles has to go and do a speech in Welsh. And they were really impressed with him that he was able to, as the Prince of Wales to speak their language. Cause it's a very different language, a very unique culture. What an interesting story that was. 
Well, I'm not done. What are you looking at? Is that what are you? Is that pills? So it soon became apparent to Mr. and Mrs. Tate the noises were of a subterranean nature, and they appeared to be coming from their basement. Now, what's interesting about their home is that their basement is sealed. There's a concrete wall where there used to be the stairs going down, but that but that cavity still exists. Okay. Eager to discover more, Mr. Tate dug two 1.5-meter channels into the walls and placed recording equipment inside the shafts created. In his own words, the sounds he picked up included a woman screaming, sexual sounds, dogs barking, a printing press running, a motorbike, a car horn honking, and what sounds like a police siren. So obviously some street ambiance, but there was other things too. This is Alan speaking. We put microphones on the top. Was that a good Welsh accent? No. Okay. We put microphones at the front of the house, at the back of the house, inside and out and in the basement. The device we left in the basement picked up the screaming and other noises. The other devices, which were recording simultaneously at the front and back of the property, picked up nothing at all. The ordeal has upset them so much, they now travel around the UK trying to spread the word about what is going on in Ammonford. They claim police are ignoring their concerns and that this matter needs an urgent full investigation. The police have confirmed that they did respond uh, or that they did receive correspondence from Mr. Tate and that officers attended the area in November of last year, but they didn't find any evidence of wrongdoing. This is their assertion has not weakened Mr. and Mrs. Tate's firm belief that there are people, men, women, and children living, sleeping, and working underneath the house. The couple refuse to return to Ammonford in fear of what they might find. They even say they are concerned for their own safety. What's interesting about these people, they're not claiming supernatural. In fact, if you read, there's a lot of interviews with them. They're worried that it's like some sort of sex trafficking ring or going back like a brothel. Like it's actually something sinister in that way that's happening underneath their home or, or in subterranean passages. I remember being in Edinburgh and, sorry, Edinburgh, 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 going through there, like the, there's underground passages all throughout the city, right? And yeah, of course, old cities are like. So that. who knows what it is? And it, it, it's not like, uh, it's not like they're making money out of this. This goes back to like Bob Lazar, isn't there? Like, can't they do like, um, what do they call that when your your wife is pregnant and they ultrasound? Can't they do ultrasound to see if there's past? Well, maybe the people that would do that ultrasound don't want to do an ultrasound because maybe they're a part of it. Okay. I don't know. I agree with you. So that is the story of the Wailing House. So Riley, that is a wrap on our first, and we're going to call that, I guess, our first season. Yeah, we ended it with a lightning round, which I loved. Man, we'll see what kind of mug I bring in. Yes, because that came from your in-laws. I thought it was Marion's parents. It was given to Marion by my parents. So it was in-laws, not my in-laws. Was that her only gift from your parents? It was a big gift basket. Okay, good. Because I was like, that's a bit cheap. It was a, and it was a beautiful gift basket with lots of very wonderful. I like a good gift it. basket. It's like a stocking, right? A, a gift basket is basically a stocking for adults. It's full of little things. I, you know, when I was a kid, my favorite part of Christmas morning was my stocking. Your favorite part was your stocking? Fun. It's all little things. Well, what kind of unfun things were you getting what under you the mean? tree? Like tax returns and stuff under the tree? Yes, Trump. No, um, no, I just love all the little things, like little chocolate things and little handheld games and a toothbrush and stuff yeah. like that would be in there. Oh my God, that's that reeks of fun. Okay, when you're eight or nine, I just liked opening them. Okay, you're, you're, No, you're right. You're right. When you're eight or nine, there's nothing more fun than opening a toothbrush out of your stocking. 
Oh, you awful, awful person. <laughs> I, mean, I know, Jesus. Jesus. No, I, I actually like the stocking. I'm oh, just God. joking. I did, too. I did, too. Because that's where I would get all the chocolate and, uh, like, Hot Wheels. Yeah, I would little Hot things that your parents might have packed by in the drugstore. Little yeah. finger games and stuff. And yeah, I, I liked it. You know, I have to say, um, I'm a Christmas whore yeah. because when I grew up, my mom, I didn't have a good relationship with my mom. Grew up basically, probably yeah. I, what would be considered now a psychologically abusive house. The only time of year my family was calm and my mother was calm and there was no fighting was Christmas. So it was my favorite time of year. And I look back on it so fondly. And the other day, I don't care how long this goes. I'm telling you this fucking story. The other day, yeah, I, no, do it. Um, I was driving through my old neighborhood that I lived in when I moved to Canada, which is called Blackburn Hamlet. It, yeah. We're... I was working at pre-COVID. And I was driving around and all the Christmas lights were on and it had snowed and I got really emotional. Mm. Um, I just really wish, and I said this to Keith, I wish I could have just one more day of that feeling of being a kid at mm-hmm. Christmas, uh, a young person at Christmas, not necessarily mm-hmm. young, young, but even like 14 or 15 when school is off and you don't have a care in the world. And there's no, there's no, you're not carrying all the burdens we carry around as adults. And everything just seems so possible back then. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, a vision of this life ahead of me that was just so filled with light and magic. Not to say that it hasn't been, but I mean, you know, the world is a tough place, but Fuck, I love Christmas. And there's just something about mm-hmm. it that gets me. It gets me. Yeah. Me too. It's been it's been a sacred time for me, not in necessarily the Christian sense of it, but that was part of it, the rituals that were associated with that. It's always been a very and, and my like you, it has changed over the years. You know, I remember being a kid and living in Canada, being it being so important that it be a white Christmas and being so stressed mm-hmm. that it wouldn't. But even, you know, that so that's lessened. I'm not too worried about some of those things that I can't control anymore. I, I still feel the magic uh, mm-hmm. at Christmas. You know, we watched uh, I Love the Polar they Express. They did a good job. And I love, because I firmly believe in it, the magic of Christmas and the, in, in that way, completely believe in Santa and and the spirit of christmas i do i believe you know i don't even mind the nativity story it's a beautiful story it's a story about a woman who's going to give birth to somebody and they can't find a place to stay and they find a place to stay and something goes down that's kind of remarkable and it it, it doesn't have that heavy-handed shittiness that religion can sometimes have well most of the new testament doesn't that's the the irony of it all the new testament doesn't have the heavy-handedness and you could look at Jesus as a philosopher and not as the son of God. I look at him as a good cult leader. And he 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 was he's a wonderful human being to, uh, I'm to sure live your life live by. now. He'd be somebody, you know, who'd like, you know, eat hummus and be vegan and just be really cool. And his wife would make soap and th- they would just be really cool people. And they would just be about peace and love. And isn't that what we're all looking for? And that Christmas story is a perfect beginning to mm-hmm. his you know, and I, I, for me, that's part of it. I know I'm not, I'm a, I'm a way Catholic now, and there's too many things about the Catholic church that I have issue with, that I have trouble calling myself a Catholic, but I still think that there's beauty to reflecting on him and his teaching and, and his birth, even though we, we know it wasn't December 25th, most likely. Yeah. So it's a special, special time. And I hope sincerely 
uh, that you enjoy your, uh, uh, that you're going to take and, uh, that you have a wonderful and very Merry Christmas, Riley. This has been a wonderful journey so far. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a great journey, and we want to thank uh, our listeners for for joining us on this ride. We really didn't know what to expect when we started this. We are one of thousands of podcasts out there, and certainly we had no delusions about this taking off. We have listeners, and uh, it's really nice to know that we're not speaking into the void, and uh, it's so cool that we have a global audience, which I never saw. And I, 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 hello, Finland. Hello, Finland. Hello, Denmark. Hello, Austria and Germany and Ireland, and Australia and New Zealand, the United States and the United Kingdom. And of course, our beloved uh, Canada. So thanks very much, everybody. We've so enjoyed this first season. And yes, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas and all the best. And we'll see you in 2020. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Wow. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. <laughs> oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs>